Good morning, everyone. Let's see how this goes. Uh, can I please pray? Uh, Lord Jesus, as I come now uh, to bring your word, um, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded today that, um, yeah, the Christian walk is one of weakness, and today I have a weak voice. Um, and what a wonderful thing to know that uh, as Christians, um, being a Christian and, and speaking about the gospel is not about fancy words or how well we speak, but because we come with the message of truth. That's where the power lies, in your truth, Lord. And so, Father, uh, may that be true of us today as we come to your word here in Ruth. Uh, please bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so for many of us today, uh, we benefit from a modern invention called GPS. Now, it brings wonderful convenience for us. And I'm sure, though, however convenient it has been for all of us, maybe all of us can think of a time where it hasn't been so convenient in helping us getting from A to B. Maybe you found yourself getting lost before, perhaps taking the scenic route, you might say, it's the long way around. <clears throat> I've heard the stories of people who may have thought of putting the right address, uh, but found out that that same street exists in another suburb or another state, <laughs> and find themselves heading off thinking that they're going in the right direction, but find out sooner or later that it's been the wrong way all of long. Well, just like a road trip that goes wrong, spiritually speaking, it's possible to be heading in the wrong direction as well. Today, as we open our series of the Book of Ruth, we meet a family, indeed a people, who are heading in the wrong direction. Here we have a family heading along, metaphorically speaking, at 110 kilometers an hour at the wrong direction, spiritually finding themselves in the ditch. As you and I explore their story this morning, we will find that it actually really relates to all of our stories and our own journey of faith. And so this morning we get to learn about what it means to actually be spiritually heading in the wrong direction, what the right direction might mean, and how we might go about heading in the right direction. In amongst all of this, we have the opportunity to see the hand of the Lord at work in the lives of his people, as God works out his plan of redemption through his son. And so first, I really just want to explore from our words this morning, what does it mean to be going the wrong way, according to our passage? And we'll do this by thinking of Elimelech, Naomi and their family, and through their story, discovering with tragic irony what it means to actually be heading towards an in uh, to a spiritual train wreck. Now, our narrative begins with these words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, this one sentence, it says so much. Immediately, we learn something critical about the times of these events in which they took place. A bit like if you think of a parent who looks at their child and gives them that look when they're doing something wrong, where they say so much with one look. Well, likewise, these first few words of this book give us huge insight into the whole setting of this book 
of Ruth. For anyone who is familiar with the book of Judges, you will know that these times were spiritually dark days for Israel. Israel, God's people, who were called to live for God and dedicate their lives to him, were doing everything but this. They were instead rapidly taking upon themselves foreign beliefs and the religions of surrounding nations. Progressively, as each generation came and went, turning more and more away from the God of Israel. Away from Yahweh and his ways, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And in response to this, we read the book of Judges. God sent judgment their way. If I just read a few verses from Judges, it says, And the people of Israel, in chapter 3, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out from the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people, peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn them, as, and they were in terrible distress. And so there are some really stark and challenging words, I think, from the book of Judges there that speak of how Israel were really being unfaithful towards God and they were suffering the consequences of that. One of the things that God did send was also natural disasters their way, whether it was droughts, disease, or earthquakes. And so as we head into the book of Ruth here, we find that one of these things were happening. A famine was in the land, presumably from drought. Crops had failed, and the people were suffering. The tragic irony was that Bethlehem, which in Hebrew literally means a house of bread, was not producing the very thing it was known for, wheat crops for bread-making and daily sustenance. It's into this situation that we meet a family, the family of Limelech, Naomi, and their two sons, Chilion and Marlon. Desperate, hungry, and in need, they head off to the land of Moab in search of food. Now, on the surface, such a decision is an obvious and practical thing for them to have done. I mean, what else could they have done? It's hard to imagine what would have been to experience a famine. I can't relate to that. I mean, all in Australia that we can relate to is the panic, panic buying that we've experienced with people playing fisticuffs in the supermarket over the last roll of toilet paper during COVID. I don't know what it's like to go hungry. You see, for Elimelech and Naomi, this physical move to Moab was more than just a physical move. It also amounted to a spiritual move, a move away from the land of Israel, away from the promised land, away from the Old Testament community of faith. In essence, for them, moving away from Israel amounted to a move away from God. The name Elimelech means something like, my God is king. 
So our author is highlighting yet another tragic irony. The man who was named, my God is king, is showing in his actions the very opposite, that God wasn't his king. As he leads himself and his family away from Israel, giving up hope on the Old Testament promises of God to Israel. Essentially, he and Naomi and their family had tapped out. I'm out, they've said, in their hearts and lives. Then, in the land of Moab, as we read, tragedy strikes. Elimelech passes away, and their two sons marry outside of the faith, marrying non-Israelite women, which in those times would have meant adopting foreign religion. And then the two sons also die, and Naomi is left utterly alone with her two daughters-in-law, which for three widowed women living in those times meant that they were now in a really incredibly vulnerable position. The pursuit of greener grass on the other side in the land of Moab turned out to be even more bitter than leaving Israel, going from bad to worse. For us today, as we think of our world today and what does it mean to be a Christian, I think, if nothing else, these opening verses in Ruth really portray an important trajectory for us. It maps it out, something that's critical for you and I to see. Mapping out really cause and effect and how spiritual depravity really does lead to ruin, chaos, and ultimately, in the end, to death. When a people group or individuals turn away from God, the consequences really are dire, even if those consequences are not felt or noticeable straight away. As we consider the state of Christianity in the West today, there are parallels (laughs) compared to the days of Ruth. In a lot of ways, the Christian church today is facing a bit of a lull, a low point. Historically, a country that was largely Christian in many ways and would identify themselves strongly with the Christian faith is rapidly not that, turning secular more and more, as shown in each government census that goes on. It's not like this has just happened overnight, but rather it's seen that generation after generation, our parents, our parents' parents, perhaps even their parents, have sequentially failed to bring up our children in the Lord. But this failing isn't just within families, but within the churches as well, where many people have left churches in droves these past decades. For example, we think of the Presbyterian Church, who over the last few years have been consolidating, selling off small churches that no longer are viable. Many denominations, including our own, are struggling to fill the pulpit with new pastors and preachers. Uh, There's something like in the CRCA alone, 10 to 15 vacant churches at the moment that don't have a pastor, a full-time minister. It's not like people have left the church for no good reason at times either. Quite frankly, there's been many churches that have failed to preach the gospel faithfully and with clarity. We've had a, perhaps there's been falling out with fellow church members where people have left just feeling really hurt. I mean, if the church is meant to be the New Testament equivalent of a community of faith like that in the Old Testament, a place where we are to 
come and experience spiritual, genuine spiritual nourishment, spiritual bread, it certainly hasn't always been this. So for you and I this today, when we think of our community here at Paco, if nothing else, our passage is, is a warning. It's saying, hey, watch out. Give up on God and turn away at your own peril. Let the genuine fire of the Christian faith slide and drift into malaise and apathy really is risky business. But for us here today, it applies on an individual level as well. Firstly, it's a warning to those who are perhaps backsliding in their Christian faith, like a family, like a Limelech, Naomi and their children. It's possible to be heading the wrong way in your own individual walk with the Lord, to become cold towards God, to spiritually tap out. And what's worse, not to be recognizing that that's even occurring for yourself. Not recognizing that just like heading on a road trip with the wrong GPS coordinates, that you're kind of heading the wrong direction and you're not noticing. Having placed the cares of this world above God and your relationship with him. Whereby effectively dethroning him and his kingship on your life. But I think also, secondly, it's a warning to those individually who don't yet have a personal faith in Jesus. For as we stand back and consider the message of the Bible as a whole, for those who utterly reject God and his way of salvation, the end is grim. Scripture says a day is coming, a final day of human history as we know it, when all will need to give an account to God. In warning against those who turn away from God and live in license and however they want, 1 Peter chapter five verse, uh, 4 verse 5 says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That is a stark warning that we have and that we should take seriously as we look even at these first few verses of the book of Ruth. So if that's what it means to be going the wrong way, to really rejecting God and, and, and turning away from him, let's consider just for a few moments, what does it mean then to be going the right way? What is our passage also encouraging us to do then? Well, for Elimelech, Naomi and their sons, if going the wrong way essentially meant turning their back on God and his promises, then going the right way means sticking at it, even when the going is tough. I mean, this doesn't mean ignore practical realities. I mean, <laughs> there was a famine in the land. I mean, doesn't the Lord's Prayer even itself encourage us to pray? Give us our daily bread. I mean, God's not stupid. He knows our physical needs as well. And there's a reason why these people were experiencing this famine at the time. But what it does mean is for us to deal with the root issue, the bigger issue, the deeper problem, the problem of all problems. For Elimelech, Naomi, and all Israel to deal with the spiritual issue that lies behind their temporary woes, to show themselves faithful to God rather than faithless, keeping him as their first love in life. In this way, the same spiritual principle is applicable for us today. Like Naomi, 
in Elimelech and their family, and practically all Israel at that time, who had essentially abandoned their spiritual foundation, we too, when the going is tough in our walk with the Lord, can be tempted to walk away, to give up rather than stick at it, to tap out. Jesus himself, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, and as we read there in Matthew 6, encourages us to seek his kingdom first, whereby prioritizing God and his kingdom over earthly concerns um, that we might have. As we read there, but seek first, and sung about, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This does not at all discredit the very real difficulties that you may have or may be facing in your Christian walk. All the difficulties you may experience with your church or with living out your faith in a, host, in a, in a culture that can be hostile to some of the truths of Scripture. Nor does it ignore the fact that sometimes those who entirely reject God <laughs> seem to live better lives than believers. I mean, maybe you, you want to throw at me Psalm um, 73, verse 3 to 5, where it says, for I was, I think it's David there saying, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Now, Psalm 73 is a sermon for another day. (laughs) In short, the Bible does give a comprehensive answer to that issue as well. As we continue to live in a world that is broken by sin, and God's kingdom is somewhat now and not yet. Friends, today, today, we ought to let the message of Ruth 1 hit home, hit right between here in the rib cages. Are you willing to stick at your faith even when the going is tough. How do we do this? How do you and I do it? Do we simply just pick up our socks, grit our teeth, and march on? I mean, that's certainly the message that our culture gives us. If you want to achieve something, you have to go about doing it yourself, is what we learn. Believe in yourself. You've got this. The message of the gospel is kind of the opposite. You don't. You don't. You haven't got this. But there's someone who does. God. If you read on in the book of Ruth, God's wonderful grace is on display when he, graciously and full of loving kindness, works in Naomi's situation and brings her back to the land of Israel and to him. In this way, the book of Ruth really does teach us a much bigger story. God's story of redemption in the Bible through his son, Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is that you and I need Jesus to change our hearts, to give us renewed spiritual vigor and vitality, a heart that loves God and loves his people. And only Jesus could do this by dealing with that root issue, the spiritual evil of our soul, That is, to deal with our sin. And Jesus did this by leaving his heavenly dwelling, coming down to live amongst us as a man, 
In that sense, Jesus chose for himself the path of exile, to live in a foreign land out of love for you and I. And on the cross, in perfect obedience to his Father, he chose to experience death in our place, the death that you and I deserve because of sin, becoming that perfect substitute on the cross. And now for all who repent and believe in Jesus, he really does offer new spiritual life, causing every believer to be born again, made alive on the inside. In John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The good news is that in Jesus, God's people are forgiven sinners. They're forgiven of their sins. And the new spiritual, new spiritual life uh, is given to us that we need to begin to truly live for God. Now, when the going gets tough, then the temptation is simply to try and grit your teeth and hope for the best. Don't get me wrong. We do need to press on. I'm not speaking against that. But through God's free message of the gospel, Jesus says in those times, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Finding grace and renewed strength in Jesus is what you and I need to press on when the road is difficult. If you're here today recognizing in yourself to be a bit of a Elimelech or a Naomi, let me let your faith fall by the wayside. Can I just ask you, will you Seek out the face of Jesus. You seek him for spiritual strength. Not only does this ring true for individuals, but the church as a whole. I don't know what 2023 is going to bring for us here at Paco. I don't know what challenges you and I might face in reaching our community with the message of Jesus. Or what personal struggles that you might come across. When difficulties arise, we are to remember our gracious Heavenly Father who cares for us and truly does hold us in our hands, in his hands. But not only does God call his people to respond to his message of grace, the church, to seek out his strength and spiritual life rather than seeking... um, Sorry, I'll start again. The gospel also calls all to respond, not just the Christian church to the message today. I want to ask then, if you are here today, not yet a believer of Jesus, seeking to know more of what the Christian faith is about, and not yet accepting Jesus in your heart, perhaps recognizing for the first time today that you've been traveling this wrong way your whole life, How do you become a believer? How do you find this new spiritual life in Jesus? Well, God calls you to respond to the gospel as well. To essentially come home to him and find spiritual rest and nourishment for your souls. That means responding with surrender. 
surrendering your life to him, recognizing that in your sins and rebellious ways, you are naturally at odds with God, and that in yourself there is nothing that you can do to fix that. And then in faith, to put your trust in Jesus, who came as the Savior of the world to do what you and I could not do, to put your lot in with him and say in your heart, Jesus, will you make me new? Will you make me spiritually alive and grant me your Holy Spirit? And so I ask you, would you surrender your life to him? Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, this message that you've given us through Ruth. Father, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably all of us recognize times in our lives that we haven't stuck close with you. That we've been tempted to let our faith slide or become apathetic or even walk away. Father, we thank you that in those times that your grace is sufficient to woo us back into a deeper love with you. Father, we thank you that you left heaven and came to earth to save us. Father, you chased us when we were running away from you. That on the cross, you secured eternal life for all who believe and repent of their sins, Lord. Father, when the going gets tough, I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to help us press on, not in our own strength, but strength that comes from you. And Father, that as others around us see, see us do that, that they would notice something different about us, that they would become inquisitive about the spiritual life that they see in us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that if there are anyone here today who doesn't yet know you, I pray that you might graciously reveal to them yourself and the wonder of the cross. Help them to see that the things of this world is, although it looks good on paper, in the end don't satisfy, don't give the spiritual life that we yearn for and that can be found in Jesus. And Father, we thank you that no matter what we might face in this life, you've promised an eternal life for your people, a new heaven and new earth, a place for us to dwell and look forward to as we spend eternity enjoying you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.